Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bat crazy. Ah! You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June 9th. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the SUP Daily Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. Today, I am here with Michelle Sahin and Melissa DePino. They are co-founders of From Privilege to Progress. From Privilege to Progress calls on all Americans to join on the path to anti-racism by learning, speaking up in their everyday lives, and amplifying the voices of people of color on social media. First of all, Melissa and Michelle, thank you so much for being here. It's an overwhelming time, and we appreciate that there are so many demands on your time and energy and people wanting to get your thoughts and expertise. So we're so grateful for the opportunity to, to get to talk. Thank you. We're, we're happy to be here. Awesome. So I would love to talk a little bit about your origin story, which is really interesting. I think a lot of people do remember in 2018 when two black men were arrested at a Philadelphia Starbucks uh, for, for sitting there for doing nothing. That's the day you two met, and that's the day when you started this path together. Can you describe what happened that day and how it set you on the path to, to what you're doing now? Sure. So um, this is Michelle. I will, I will start because I fortunately was able to see the event happen from beginning to end. Um, and what's interesting about that specific um, Starbucks is that I would always walk past that Starbucks. I lived in Philly for about five years at, the, at that point. And any time I would go in there, I never felt like it was diverse enough. So I would actually walk an additional three or four blocks to one deeper in the city where there were more people that looked like me, to be honest. So there's something about this day. I, I, at this point in my life, I believe it was divine intervention because um, it was only my second time at that specific Starbucks location in five years. And something just said, go there. Ch- 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 try this one out today. So I, I walk in and um, same scene as it was the last time I had been there years before, which was there were only one or two, I think it was just only one other black guy that I saw um, and one brown man from, from, that, I, that I could skim. And I said, you, you know, whatever, you're here already, just sit down. So um, after about 45 minutes, um, two black guys walked in, Dante, who you know, we now know as Dante and Rashawn. Um, and, you know, when you're the only minority, when you're, when you're one of the only and someone else that looks like you walks in, you take notice and you pay attention. You really want to pay attention. And I always tell, I, I, the reason I was looking at them, specifically the one with the green jacket and the beard, they were just the cutest. They were so, 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 so <laughs> adorable. So cute. And their demeanor was just really chill. I, li- I like that very chill type of demeanor. Um, so they walk up to the barista and they asked to use the bathroom. And she said, no, it's for paying customers only. And they sat down and that was it. That is all that happened. Nothing else happened. She walked away from the counter and I saw her mouthing something to herself. And my gut, my initial reaction said, I think she just said something racist. It was the first thought that came to my mind. But when you have those thoughts, it's important to check yourself. It's important to, to ask yourself, where is that thought even coming from? Why are you thinking that? So I checked myself and I said, well, Michelle, now you're being prejudiced. How do you know that she's not walking to the back? To, how do you know that she didn't forget something, right? 
So I said, put your head back down and continue working. So I put my head down. I continue working. And within about five minutes, two cops show up, which I thought was really interesting. I had been there for about 45 minutes and I thought, oh, maybe they're responding to something that happened earlier in the day. Maybe even they're responding to something that happened the previous day. So I was trying to listen because I wanted to know the drama. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like, ooh, like, well, you know, like, what's going on? So I was sitting close enough that I could actually hear them speaking and I heard the barista flat out lie. And I heard her say, those two guys in the corner are refusing to leave. And I was like, oh my God, whatever I thought about her was probably right. Whatever that gut feeling was, she probably was saying something racist because I cannot believe what I'm hearing right now. Nothing else happened. She didn't ask them to leave because there hadn't been a reason to ask them to leave. They didn't even contest her when she said no for paying customers only. They could have. They could have said we're waiting for a friend. We're going to get a coffee when he gets here. I prom-. You know what I mean? They they just yeah. said oh, okay, we'll sit down and we will we will listen. And what was even more disturbing to me is that there was no follow up questions by the police officers in that moment. They said which two, and she pointed again, and they said okay. And I was like, they're not going to ask any questions. They're not going to ask what happened. Nothing. So I'm looking at Dante and Rashawn. They're looking at me. I'm looking at the cop. They're looking at the cop, and it's like you can feel it, right? Like you can feel a little bit of nervousness creeping up and we're like, what is going on? Because at this point now they're walking towards them. It's clear that they're about to approach them. And I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but I've had them before where you start getting sweaty and you start trembling and your hands start getting clammy and you feel like, I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. And in that moment for me, I thought to myself, it wasn't a matter of, am I going to do something? It's what am I going to do? Because I'm noticing that everybody around me is not really paying attention. The white guy next to me had a coffee or was sitting there, didn't have a coffee for 45 minutes. I saw a white girl mid-jog come and use the bathroom and leave. And I remember specifically thinking to myself, I wonder if she works here that they just give her the code. Or I wonder if she's here so often that they know her and they just allow her to come use the bathroom. Because I was like, I, you know, when you're a person of color or a black person, sometimes you police your own body. I would never think to go into a Starbucks and use the bathroom and leave because I don't want any attention on me. I would purposely mm-hmm. even but sometimes buy a water that I didn't even need just because I wanted to use the bathroom. So when as I see- you're telling the story, it didn't even occur to me that there were other people coming in and out that were witnessing this that were willfully choosing not to figure out what was going on and, and, and intervene. Like I just assumed it was empty and it was you and them and you were the only one there to it protect was- them or make sure, see if things escalated and document. Like it's wild to hear you explain that this life was just proceeding as normal for people coming in and out. It was a full Starbucks. I remember there was even a white guy sitting next to them that actually got up. They was, he was sitting right next to them, got up and walked to the other side of the Starbucks. As this was, as this was happening, I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, I mean, now, now we have an organization called for Privilege of Progress, but in the moment, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, like, here you are, this privileged dude, and you do nothing to step in when you see something that's so obviously wrong. So anyway, so I get up, I'm getting really anxious, I start saying things, I start yelling, and I'm like, this is, this is just so ridiculous. Someone came up to me and said, you know, what's going on? And I said, they're being arrested for not buying a coffee. That's what's happening right now. So two cops ended up being eight cops, eight cops showed up actually put these guys in handcuffs and walked them out. So I, like I said, I knew I was going to do something. So I just walked up to the cop, which was a risk for me because I'm, I'm also a black person. If I'm watching them arrest two black people for doing abs- absolutely nothing, what could happen to me? But in that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm not the one being arrested right now. And I have to do something for my brothers because no one else is doing anything. 
So I walk up to the cop and I said, why are you doing this? And he told me to go ask the barista, which I thought was a very interesting response. I'm like, oh, is that how this works now? I can just call 911 and remove anyone from my space. Is that, is that how this works? Are, like, are we the bosses of you? So I said, okay. I'm like, he's allowing me to go confront somebody. So I went to the barista and I said, why'd you do that? Why'd you call the cops? And she got immediately got, got bright red. Her chest got flushed. Her face got flushed. It was just whoosh. And she goes, she started like stuttering. And she was like, I, 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 I can't really say acting as if there had been something. She didn't realize that I had been watching it from the second that they walked in to the second that they were put in the cop car. And um, I said, oh, I can say, because I watched the entire thing happen. So I asked her, I said, did you feel like your life was in danger? And she ignored me and she walked down the, the Starbucks aisle. So I followed her down the aisle and I asked her again. I said, did you feel like your life was in danger? Did you feel like you were threatened? And she ignored me again. So I took a step back. At this point, I didn't know what else to do. At this point, everyone re- realized that that was this racial discrimination. Um, and during all this happened, by the way, their friend actually showed up, the one that they were there to meet, who happened to be a white gentleman who also saw it for what it was and was yelling with me. He said, how is this not obviously racial discrimination? What did they do? So I took a step back because the barista was completely ignoring me and I yelled at her and I said, you're a big coward. And I walk back to my table and I'm packing up all my stuff and I look up and it's silent at this point and all these white women are just staring at me and I see a white girl in the corner, her lip is quivering and I'm like, oh my God, she cries, I'm going to start crying, crying. There was a girl next to me. I, I feel like she was kind of like looking for my direction because she's like looking at me and I could see her packing up her stuff too, but like yeah. watching me as I'm packing up my stuff. And then um, I look over across the Starbucks and just randomly I locked eyes with Melissa and she stood up. She was the only other person to address the Starbucks that day. No one else said anything except for her. And she said, something along the lines of, I was just here. I never buy a coffee. No one ever asked me to leave and you know why. So the two of us basically staged a walkout. And um, again, we saw these guys in the back of the cop car. I asked the cops again, do you understand that you are arresting two men for not buying coffee? Like, do you understand that that's what is going on intellectually? Like, is this, yeah, they turn their backs to me. And um, I, I vaguely remember Melissa coming up to me with her with with the with the Twitter video because she was she was she was like someone has to post this and I said I don't have a Facebook I don't have a Twitter I'm barely on Instagram yeah <laughs> you know whatever so she was like is this caption okay I I tell I you know I now she knows I didn't actually look at it <laughs> I was like whatever um it went viral I didn't know it had, it had went viral because again I wasn't really big on social media people were right. texting me and saying Michelle you know this thing that you told us about we're in it so someone Melissa tracked me down somehow. We met up the following Monday. Um, she told me that we were long lost best friends. And we said, okay. And we sat down and we had a pen and paper already. We're like, okay, what are we going to do? Wow. So it started. Wow. That's unbelievable. I mean, starting an anti-racism organization sounds intense to do with your best friend. Like, I can't imagine doing that with my best friend. You were, you two had just met. What was that like? I mean, hearing you describe it, it sounds like you just, there was just a friendship connection that was clear and she was literally the only person in, in the Starbucks who linked in with you and realized what was happening in that moment. But um, so you, it sounds like you immediately decided to pursue something bigger together. I mean, it, it just felt like a, like, a, like a responsibility. The world was paying attention. The world was paying attention to what racism actually looked like today. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because they, they always say when a Starbucks enters a neighborhood, you know that the neighborhood's about to be gentrified, right? Yeah. So 
white people are realizing, oh my gosh, what else haven't I noticed? What else haven't I seen? I mean, we, so I, we've got a responsibility to continue that conversation and educate people on what racism actually looks like today and what the, and what they could actually do about it in their personal lives. Because Melissa yeah. and I are just two regular people. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. So from privilege to progress, uh, you describe it as a national movement to desegregate the public conversation around race. What does that mean to you, to desegregate the public conversation? So, um, So when Michelle spoke up that day, and I shared it. And um, it, keeping in mind, statistically, our networks are, um, if you're white, your, your social media network is 91% white, and you're barely ever posting about race. So when I shared it, it we believe that it basically broke through, well, a couple of things. It basically broke through our segregated networks and that it, it just went viral within the segregated network. So that's one thing. The second thing is there... Um, until about a week ago, there were never, there were so few white people speaking up publicly about racism. Like literally, I started keeping a spreadsheet <laughs> and every time I would see like a white celebrity or an influencer actually say something publicly about racism, I'd be like, oh my gosh, they're on my list. I mean, literally it was like Steve Kerr and, um, and Pop, like two NBA coaches who, who consistently spoke up. You know, there's an actor from um, Orange is the New Black, Matt McGorry. He's consistently yeah. up, right? But before this past week, honestly, it was extremely rare. So I got barraged with all this media because like this white lady was saying there's racism. I mean, there was one time I was on, um, I was on CNN right after it happened. And it was on Don Lemon and the Chiron below, below me said, um, witness says this doesn't happen to white people. And I was like, okay, is like water wet? Like, <laughs> yeah. So we do believe that if Michelle had shared that video, that it would have just gone into the abyss of all the other 
videos that people of color, that black Americans have been sharing about, um, about incidents of racism from, you know, small, smaller, more microaggressive things to really dangerous things. And that we never see because, you know, so once they, once something gets on social media, you know, if it gets enough pickup, then it hits mainstream media and mainstream media is white media, right? So once it hits white media, then people start paying attention. So what we do at um, Privilege to Progress, the idea is we continue that conversation and we, um, we think of it like we want people to do what we did, which is she spoke up. I amplified her voice to desegregate that conversation in our networks. And then when people share our content, which they've been doing so much in the last week, we are praying and begging and hoping that this continues. This this can't stop. It has to keep going um, to keep that conversation going. Because if you're white, you need to keep learning. You need to keep being aware. You need to desegregate your social media and your real life. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if people that, specifically white people who have spent the past two weeks really reflecting and learning more, who maybe didn't pay that much attention to the Starbucks story in 2018. Michelle, hearing you describe it after what we saw with, for instance, Amy Cooper, it, it, it's so appalling. And I suspect if this happened tomorrow in this environment, you wouldn't have to have had literally just you find just Michelle. I mean, maybe who knows, but yeah, hearing you describe that story again with the past two years and especially what's been happening in the past 10 days, it's, it's pretty, pretty shocking that you were the only two to speak up. And also as a result of that, it didn't just bond privilege to progress. Starbucks did address it with really, really widespread sensitivity trainings. I believe 8,000 locations uh, decided to take a day off for racial sensitivity training, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Were you satisfied with that outcome? No. Yeah. No, because we had really been, we, we hoped to work with them. We wanted to partner with them. We reached out to them. Um, They were dismissive. Yep. Be completely honest with you. Um, um, There was even a fabrication in a, a news article at one point. They said that they had tried to work with us, but we couldn't agree on something yet. I was like, Oh, 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 great. That's just what you want to do is say they're hard to work with. Oh, God. Right? Like, I immediately emailed them um, in so many words. I was like, it's really important that we put out information that's correct in the media. Like, I, I mean, I mean, I guess you can say. That's a, that's a good bar. I think that's. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, it was somewhat of a threat because if you're not going to be truthful, I'm going to tell everyone that you're not being truthful. Like, stop. Like, stop it. Um, yeah. And they should have partnered with us because we, I just saw recently, um, Melissa, correct me, they, they're not allowing their employees to wear black ties or something for, the, for Black Lives Matter. Oh, oh no, no. I, I'm going to tell you, it's all, it was all over Twitter um, the other day, is that there were a bunch of different employees saying that their superiors were saying that not to wear your Black Lives Matter pin, not, not to do anything, and to not even talk about it if anybody brought it up. And, and then, of course, like, I'm so pissed because, like, the statement they put out is so, oh, my gosh. Like, what are they doing? They have, they have an international platform. So, so when we talk about um, amplifying, when we talk about showing up, 
okay, all these corporations now are sending, I mean, I'm getting an email from like the teeniest little company that I, you know, bought something from about how they show up against racism. But let me tell you, the racism is so deeply embedded in every single corporation, organization, particularly news organizations. I just posted something about this today. And putting a statement up, that's such bullshit. I mean, like, honestly, do tell us what you're actually doing. And then Starbucks goes and says to us, oh, well, we need to do our internal work first. Okay, yes, you do need to do your, you need to do both. Well, also so, you asked them to do that two years ago. Yes, yes, we did. And the thing is, we understand it takes internal work and it, it takes using your public voice to stand against it. And they didn't use their public voice. They just shut up. You know, look at, look at a corporation like Nike, how they use their public voice. I mean, that, that's how you do it. You say what side you're on by actually doing something and using, using black Americans in your, um, in your media or in your advertising or whatever it is, or showing what racism looks like today. You have that privilege and you're not using it. And all of a sudden now you're using it. Well, put some action behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Michelle, for both of you, you guys have had plenty of conversations with, with people of all races about this by now, I'm sure. I'm wondering if this moment does feel like a real turning point to you, um, especially because I suspect you probably maybe thought that in 2018 and maybe were disappointed and maybe have thought, I mean, 2014 was a year where we had murders of black men one after the other in a very short amount of time. And there was a lot of momentum and then it sort of went away. But I, I'm not sure if it really reached the level of momentum we've seen lately. Um, does it feel like a turning point to you guys? It feels like it to me. Um, I don't know if I want to go to say, well, no, there, there, there have been a lot of changes. I, I saw a whole list of things that, that the protests have gotten done because we put pressure on the people who we you know, elect, who we give yeah. jobs. Um, even in my own social circle, I have friends reading things that they never would have read before, ever. Um, uh, I'm, I am seeing a shift. When I'm watching the videos of all the protesters, I've never seen so many white people in protest before, ever, yeah. ever in my entire life. I've seen it, like I, I saw a protest in Philly last week and I swear it was like 75% white. Um, I think white people are realizing that this is our fight and as long as they say, stay silent, we will continue being killed, period. Um, Melissa and I in the past, I don't know, three weeks, our account went from 15,000 to now we're at 240. Oh my God. Wow. In about three weeks. And it's not what, what, what Melissa says it 93, you say it's 93% women, um, yeah. white women or just women in general. It says women. I, I, I wish I could have the data. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, when you, when you scroll, it's all these white faces, all these white faces. And so, I mean, even just that, even just that 200 and like, 30,000 more people are deciding to follow our page to learn. You have other activists too, whose pages are, are, are skyrocketing. I've yeah. never seen it before. I've never, I, I had a friend reach out to me recently and say, I'm so sorry that it took me so long. Cause I was this close to being like, we ain't friends anymore. Cause if you yeah. see it after two years and I don't know if I can feel safe around you. Right. Right. So I'm, I am seeing a lot of people that I never expected before to, to say something and start yeah. educating themselves. 
Yeah, and you guys have been working since 2018 to sort of be ready for this moment. You didn't know it was going to come, but you have the knowledge and the expertise to sort of meet it. Yeah, I saw Campaign Zero. I think they like just started an Instagram page and they have like 400,000 followers or something. It's amazing. Yeah. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I want to see so you guys talk about desegregating the public conversation about race. I think people are also having a lot of private conversations about race. Um, and I want to talk to you about, you know, to speak very personally, sometimes I feel like the more I learn about systemic racism and the more instances of, of the George Floyds that happened, it, the more I feel like I can maybe can never understand how my experience differs from a woman of color or a black woman. And sometimes it, I feel like the, the gulf sort of widens and I worry that like, oh man, can I like ever say or do the right thing? And that gulf is like, that's a gulf that my black friends and friends of color have always known exists, and I'm just sort of starting to learn more and more about it. So I'm wondering, in your experiences and your conversations, how do you sort of ensure, how do you advise people to sort of grow their understanding and make sure they're in dialogue with their friends and their families um, without sort of creating a bigger gulf of understanding? How do you sort of bridge that? How do you grow your understanding while also making sure you can sort of bridge it and take actions that bring you closer and more in line with what needs to be done, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, you know, it makes sense to me, honestly, you know, I, I, I have, I, I feel like I have the personal experience of that, you know, it was a, it was a, um, it was a strange moment for me in that Starbucks, it was that moment of that, that, that moment of understanding and there were, I was, I was so confused. I mean, I, you know, there's still confusion. It's, it's hard. You can't, just like you said, you're never going to be able to understand what it feels like to be black in America, but I, I will tell you from, from my perspective, I don't think that's the goal at all. The goal is for you as a white person, for me as a white person, to understand what it means to be white in America. Mm -hmm. 
So, so that's why that's, that's where that line is because when you talk about performative allyship and you talk about, um, you know, trying to, you know, advocate for people of color, it's not your place or your job or even within your realm of what you can possibly do. What you can do is understand what being white means and to dismantle all of those, those racist narratives that we were born and raised and, and have been uh, furthered through media exposure and through everything that happens in our country and understand that and understand your role ha that has to do with your race. So mm -hmm. thinking about whiteness, I mean that, you know, we get into this, this area of like, academia and stuff like that. And I'm, you know, I'm not uh, advocating anybody go there yet because you have to start at the beginning, but really your, your, um, your work as a white person is to understand what it means to be white. Because yeah. We don't look at our, we don't look at our race as a, as a significant part of our, our identity. It's like, how do you, you walk around, like, how would you describe yourself as like, you know, um, a woman, a millennial, a, a daughter, a friend, a parent, whatever it is. But would you, before this moment in time, would you have like said, oh, I'm white? Like, you know you're white, but you don't see that as, as an essential part of your identity. So that's where I think the difference is. And there, that's where I want um, our white friends and followers to understand. The work is understanding your whiteness because that's the thing you can do. Yeah, and that's really helpful. Amplifying the, the, the black voices who have been forever unheard, disbelieved, ignored, and understanding that, you know, you're never going to know what that feels like. Yeah. Speaking of that, so you guys focus, it's sort of a, a pillar of what you do with uh, From Privilege to Progress to amplify diverse voices on social media and how crucial that is to sort of further racial justice and advocacy. This massive moment of awareness raising has a uh, we're trying out some different ways to use social media. People have, have tried out some different things. Some have been more successful than others, but there's been a lot of critiques of this sort of performative allyship um, among even perhaps well-meaning companies or people that are clearly have no interest in learning more and just maybe throw up a black square and think that's what they have to do. Um, what do you think, you guys have been thinking about the role of social media in this for two years now. Um, what do you think the role is is for social media in this moment? And how can how can specifically white people raise awareness without taking up space? That's a great question. I mean, that's I think that's exactly why we ask people to share our content because yeah. we share resources, we share books, documentaries, podcasts, articles, videos. We share we share as much as we possibly can for people to understand and educate themselves about systemic racism, what racism looks like today, um, racism within different types of, of, of industries. And, um, you know, it, uh, someone asked us a question last night, you know, how do I know that I'm, I'm not being performative? And I said, well, if you're doing the work, then you're not being performative. Yeah. Right. You're only being performative. If, like you said, if all you do is post and then you go back to your regular life and you never read any of the resources, you don't pick up a book, you don't listen to a podcast, you don't read a news article, you don't ever have the conversation in real life with your friends and your family, then, then you're performing. So you know whether or not you're performing deep down. Um, I think social media is the tool. I think it's exactly how we spread the message. I mean, you, something can happen today, right now, and someone in China can see it real time at the exact same time. Yeah. Um, you know, Will Smith said racism isn't getting worse, it's getting filmed. 
and it's not getting worse. I'm, I'm almost done with um, listening to the book Stamped. And I'm like, I, you know, it's, um, I'm thankful that it's somewhat comedic at times because when you read that and you learn of all the, his- the racist things that have gone down in history, and oh, like it just makes you, makes you a little angry, to be honest. Yeah, and how they're erased completely. Yeah, um, there, there's just, there's been, there's always been steps throughout history to oppress us, to devalue our humanity um, every single step of the way. And social media is how, I mean, people are on social media all day, every day. Even when you're at work, you're on social media. So if we can get these stories from people's timelines that wouldn't normally see it, that's how we're going to spread awareness. If you keep seeing the same message over and over again, maybe it'll start to hit you that maybe there's actually something to this and there's some actual truth. Yeah, absolutely. And it's pressure. And, and honestly, it's just like our Starbucks video. It went, when, when it goes, when it goes viral on social media, it pushes it to mainstream media and then you reach everyone. So it, it's an extremely important tool. Social media activism is an, it's not certainly the only thing, but it's an extremely important tool to put pressure, particularly on, on, on corporations. I mean, that, that's really helped. Yeah. And they know it too. These corporations know it. That's why they're putting out all these statements. Um, but a lot of them still need to, you know, show us their leadership board, how, how many of them are women, how many of them are, are black, how many of them are, are people of color. Um, you know, th- they still have a lot of work to do, but they, but they know too that the social media, if they, if they know that people can see them posting, they're like, oh, okay, people see that we're posting, we're good. Oh, no, 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 no. This is just the beginning. That was yeah. step one. Right, right, yeah. I think I saw, like, Adidas literally just retweeted Nike's statement <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's like, we really have to be speechless to retweet your biggest competitor and that's exactly. it. Exactly. We don't know what to do. Nike? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know, I know. So from Publish Your Progress, it looks like you focus primarily on anti-racism and, and one-on-one conversations. What are your plans for the future? I mean, do you guys have policy platforms you might come out with? I mean, especially this moment seems to revolve specifically around police, although it's sort of amplified into everybody's realizing how this plays into all aspects of society and life. But what's next for you guys? So um, we have a couple things. We have a couple main ways that we continue our work. Obviously, we do social media campaigns, which you see. Michelle and I do speaking engagements all over at corporations, at organizations, at events. And what? And they're not just speaking engagements that we speak for a short time, and then we spend a significant amount of time having a conversation. And it really and it it reveals a lot of vulnerability on the part of the individuals in the, in the group with us there because then they can see um, how each other is sort of like approaching it with humility, what their personal experiences are, because we really believe that the, that the work starts within every individual human being. And that's how you change systems by changing individual human beings. So we have that. We also, um, we were planning, um, to have a, um, a summit, a big show up summit that was um, scheduled for October of this year, but now it is rescheduled for the spring of 2021 where we can come together as a group and there's, there's learning, um, there'll be a lot of learning there, a lot of conversation and um, a lot of things that you can bring back and spread within your own community. So those are, those are our major things. And Michelle and I are both constantly writing. Um, I'm working on a book right now that will share what, um, what the experiences you go through as a white person when you come to um, grapple with that part of your identity. Because um, 
one of the one of the people that came up with the white identity development theory, and I'm going to get a little bit like technical. Um, her name is Beverly Daniel Tatum, and one of the things she says is that as you're going through this as a white person, it's really important. Number one, first and foremost, to listen to Black voices, but in order to help you push through hearing the experiences of, of, of white people who have gone through help you in that, you know, when you're dealing with all those emotions of like guilt and shame. So I definitely would encourage people to, to read some accounts of people who have been through it before so they can say, okay, like I'm not crazy. These are normal feelings. Um, and, um, and Michelle's doing a lot of writing too. So there's work on our blog that you can read. Yeah, and Michelle, you do a lot of work um, and outreach with the African diaspora, right? Yeah, I actually just started doing that, which I'm so, it's like giving me so much energy and so much life. Um, because at the end of the day, um, the issues between the African diaspora and, and Africans on the continent, that, you know, that the tension that we also are experiencing is, a, is still a result of white supremacy. It's still a result of colonization. It's a result of um, keeping us divided so we don't come together and demand change and demand equality. Um, you know, they would do that on the continent. They would go and they would, they would actually literally create tribes. They would say, okay, you're this tribe based off of these facial features, which you're not, now you're this tribe based off of this um, facial features. And they would tell a tribe or tell whoever that you're better than someone else. And it would start to cause a psychological warfare and then real warfare, real actual tribal war. Like those things happened yeah. and took place, right? And if you watch, I, I saw the statistic, if you watch 700 hours of US television on Africa, 700 hours, it is either about crime, poverty, conservations like safari, or humanitarian <laughs> work that's, that's not even led by an African, that's led by a white person. Yeah. You go to Africa and you'll see statues of white Jesus, I mean, it is, it is, right? So those are the images that people see here about Africa. And when you go to Africa, they show images very stereotypical about Black Americans that aren't true. Mm -hmm. So we see each other in this way that doesn't quite match up. And there's this tension between us. And I say, I'm like, you know, what's going on here between the white community and the Black community and what's going on between the Black community here and Africa and Africans around the world? It's the same problem. It's a problem of white supremacy that they do on purpose to divide us so we fight each other so that they can do whatever they want to do while we're, while we're too busy, distracted, fighting each other about stupid things like racism. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. and I wanted to add, because I, I, um, I realized I didn't answer a question about the policy. There is a policy that um, I know in New York they're working to push forward, and it's one we're advocating for and um, going to do more work around. And it's this idea of making, when you call, a when, when, a, when a white person calls the police, on a black person that making that a hate crime. So, because we know that those police calls, those unjust police calls where, where white people are weaponizing their whiteness and yeah. using the police as their personal, you know, security guards, um, that's what leads to situations like the murder of George Floyd. That's the precursor. And that's what Michelle said earlier about what happened in that Starbucks is that she knew that, you know, eight police officers for two men who were doing nothing can turn in an instant. So um, that's the legislation that um, going forward that it's, is within our origin and, and one that we're working toward. Awesome. Thank you guys so, so much. And can people still sign up? Can people sign up for next year's summit already? 
we are putting that up for, um, I think, um, Michelle, I think, when did Susan say it's going up for sale? I think it's within the, sometime before the end of the summer, it will go up for sale. And we'll make sure that that's all over our social media, of okay. course. Awesome. But um, it's going to be a great opportunity for us all to uh, gather in person. We have some amazing speakers. We have Jere McKesson. We wow. have the guys um, who, the gentleman who created the Seeing White podcast, um, John Buin and um, Chenjirai Kumnika and um, a variety of other people who are going to help educate us and work with us. So we're like forward on the path. Yeah. And hopefully a new president. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> oh, more <Yes>. than hopefully. <laughs> I know. Vote. Everybody vote. Vote, vote, vote. Vote, vote, vote. We, we already, that's what I keep saying. Like everybody's donating and that's amazing, but we already pay the people who are supposed to be taking care of us. Every time you look at your paycheck and you're angry, it's, it's going to those people you're mad at right now. So vote for different ones. We need to exactly. fight. Exactly. And then not only are they not taking care of us, but they're actively <laughs> harming us. Yes. Thank you so, so much, Michelle and Melissa. Again, they are the co-founders of From Privilege to Progress. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. We appreciate you. Until the return of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The SUP is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SUP at Betches.com. Betches.